message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Amen. Good morning. How are we? Grab your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Actually, jump to chapter 6. We'll, we'll start there. 2 Samuel chapter 6. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. We pray that you find, find yourself, even if you're far from home, to, to be at home in this place. I pray that the, uh, the body of Christ that is this unique church, Cornerstone Church, uh, makes you feel right at home. And uh, you are welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm going to let you read the announcements and things in your bulletin yourself. We've got a lot to do, so we're going to jump right to it. We should be in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, thank, you, thank you, Jackie, for, uh, for bringing us a word last week. I appreciated that, and, uh, and I know the congregation did as well. Um, it, was a good, it was a good lesson and a reminder for us all. Today, 2 Samuel chapter 6, not 1 John chapter 2. Let me tell you why. Um, at some point... In the last week and a half, as I was uh, going back to First John chapter two to prepare for this morning, the Lord, uh, through a variety of circumstances, led my heart to this story. It's a familiar story for many of you. If you if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the story. It's the story of David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, and that has always been one of my favorite stories. For a number of reasons, but just that idea of David um, setting all of his pride to the side and giving God his, his full worship without any concern for what it looked like to anyone who was watching, and many were watching. I've always been, I've always been encouraged by, by, that, by that willingness, that, uh, that reckless abandon of David. I thought uh, initially, as God pointed my heart in that direction, I, I thought I would simply just do that. I would preach on the heart of David towards God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 13, and later it's even quoted in Acts 13, that David was a man after God's own heart. And, and I remember the first time that I, uh, I thought of that verse, not just in terms that he was, he was a man after God's own heart, like after the design of God's own heart, but, but I... I I read it in terms of he was after, chasing after God's own heart. And so, however you want to look at it, I think it's both and, and justifiably so. His heart had a pattern that was, that was of the design of the will of God, and he was a man who, who just relentlessly, even when he fell on his face, would get back up and chase after, after his God. I thought about preaching on the heart of David that we might be encouraged ourselves to lack pride or to cast our pride to the side, that we might be encouraged to have our own reckless abandon before the Lord. If you look at chapter 6, and we'll read it here in just a moment, you're going to see the phrase before the Lord one, two, three, four, five, six times, I believe. That's important. I thought that we would focus on the fact that um, we need to find ourselves like David ends up in this story 
in moments of spontaneous worship. Worship that isn't necessarily planned, worship that isn't necessarily intentional, but worship that just comes from an encounter with God. An encounter with the character of God, the holiness of God, or in this case, the presence of God. It's a worthy, it's a worthy sermon, right? Just to focus on that. Just to focus on the fact that, that we need to be more like David and just find times when our heart is just full of joy and we would, in our hearts at the very least, dance before the presence of God. Um, I thought that it would be well worth our while to notice and to confess that David wasn't a perfect man. Amen? He wasn't. I mean, can you think of, can you think of the life of David and think of some of the things that went wrong? Yeah? I mean, even if I went back to the kids and I asked them, what do you know about David? They're going to give me a list of all the stuff that he messed up on, right? The whole Bathsheba thing. There was a whole sending her husband in to be murdered. There was a mess in David's life. But he was still a man after God's own heart. He was still a man that in this chapter alone finds himself before the Lord, before the Lord, before the Lord. And he even got angry. We're going to see that here. He even got angry. But let me tell you what happened. I started to wonder in my mind, um, after thinking through all those things and preparing this past week, I started to wonder in my mind last night and then this morning I got up about five if, uh, if I hadn't maybe gone in the wrong direction. Let me explain. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm supposed to be back in First John chapter 2. And so this morning, especially when I woke up and, you know, I'm trying to finalize and I'm just trying to pull together what I, what I felt like uh, I wanted to point out here in Second Samuel chapter 6, it, it, I started to be concerned that maybe, maybe my mind had just wandered off. Like, that given all life circumstances, I couldn't focus on First John 2 for some reason. And, and so my mind just went to the story of David because I like it. And it's a story that I've known for a long time. And I just like the idea of David dancing with all of his might before the Lord. And I just love the story of his recklessness. All those things I mentioned. But I just began to wonder, like, well, maybe that's the only reason. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe my mind is just kind of chasing that sermon squirrel. And I, I need to go back to First John. Um, and then I did something, did something odd maybe. I, I just asked the Lord this morning, about 5:30. I said, "Well, Lord, you know, okay, maybe I did go in the wrong direction. Maybe I don't need to be in Second Samuel for whatever reason. Maybe I just haven't been able to focus this week on First John chapter two, and maybe that was just an easy distraction. And I don't want to go wrong, Lord. What?" What's, what's going on? Let me read you 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 6. And then um, I want to give you the rest of the story. You guys remember Paul Harvey? Some of you that are as old as I am or older, you'll remember the name Paul Harvey. He made his living telling the rest of the story, didn't he? He would, he would give you information and tell you a story, but then he would back up and kind of give you the backstory. Have you ever had God kind of send you down a road and then surprise you with something along the way that you never expected? I hope so. I hope so. I, I hope that part of your journey and your walk with Christ uh, has some of those rest of the story moments where you find that God, God started you down a road that, that you thought was going to be one thing, maybe, 
or that you started in the middle of that journey to wonder, are you on the wrong road to begin with? But then he surprises you with, with the rest of the story. Second Samuel chapter 6, here, here's the story. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Belial Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which was called by the name, capital N, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. The Philistines have had now the ark of the covenant for a hundred plus years. It had been captured and carried away. The ark of the covenant represents the very presence of God to the nation of Israel. It was gone. David's going to get it. Verse 3, they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and, I don't know how you say it, you guys come up with whatever you want. The sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart. So they, they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio uh, was walking ahead of the ark. When they recovered the ark, they, they placed it in the hands of this guy and his sons, and, and they were to watch it until it, was, until it was time to bring it back to Jerusalem and to build a temple around it, to put it back in its rightful place at the center of the nation of Israel. And so David goes, he's going to bring it back. Verse 5, Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating, here's your first phrase, before the Lord, with all kinds of instruments, made of fir wood and with lyres and harps and tambourines, and I don't know what that next one is, and cymbals. Verse 6, But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God. The threshing floor would have been, would have been a very rough area. It would have been a rough ground where they would do the threshing, and so it was bumpy. And Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was willing, unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. This is his wife. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Before and after offerings. 
18, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Typical gifts of celebration among the nation. Then all the people departed each to his house. Verse 20, but when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Notice the sarcasm. How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, maids, as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. Now when it says that, it doesn't mean that David was dancing around naked. I know maybe some of you have heard that preached, that David danced naked before the ark of the Lord. That's not, that's not what was going on here. What it means that he uncovered himself is that he took off his kingly garments. He undistinguished himself. He took off the robes that would identify him for the glory that he would rightfully get as king of the nation. And he made himself like one of the regulars. And he, in fact, was dressed in a garb that was was the same as the priests. And so he was identifying with the Levitical priesthood. And though he was not of that line, he was he was of the mindset that this was about the worship of God and rightfully so. So here's what David said after she called him foolish. Foolish in the Hebrew means empty. She basically called him what you might say would be an airhead. Look, you were dancing around out there like like an idiot. Like you lost your mind. Like you had had no, no thought to what you looked like or what you were doing. You have no idea what you look like. Did you notice that she saw him like from the window? She wasn't even involved in what was going on. She's concerned about his appearance, isn't she? She's got a little bit of the pride that, that came from her father, Saul, who had a similar problem. David said this. It was before the Lord, there's the phrase again, who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. I think, I think if you were to paraphrase this, David's saying, listen, I, I, don't really, I don't really care about what it looks like. I don't really care about my dignity. In fact, I'll become even more undignified than this when it comes to the worship of God. Because he's more important than what I look like in my glory. His glory is more important. And I think, I think that he says to her, you know, and those people that are watching, those commoners that, that you think now I've lowered myself to their level, I, I think they'll appreciate what's going on here. The last verse says that uh, his wife, the daughter of Saul, it's interesting how the author kind of puts that back in there, right? He never really gets called his wife, although she is. She gets, she gets linked back to her, her sorry daddy now twice. The daughter of Saul had no children to the day of the death. Now, we don't know if that was a curse because of what had just happened. It might just be that David never was intimate with her again. Whatever the case may be, there was no fruitfulness, not from her. So... When my mind and my heart first went to the story, it went to the end of the story. It went directly to David and his willingness to be undignified 
And to go even the extra mile when it came to reckless abandon. And my, my thought was that we would focus, for whatever reason, I just thought, well, maybe the Lord would have us just to be reminded that we need to become people more like David. We need to become people who, who it might be said that we are, we are men and women and children after God's own heart. After the design of God's heart and then also physically, proactively chasing after God's own heart. I mean, that, that's the picture of David, isn't it? He doesn't let anything get in his way. He doesn't care what he looks like. What he cares about is the glory of God and the worship of the rightful king. But as I said, if you're going to hear the rest of the story, um, let me just give you a few, uh, a few pointers. You've you got to be willing to be patient in your Christian walk. You've got to be willing to keep walking when you feel like stopping and maybe turning around and going, going the other way or just sitting on the side of the road in your Christian walk. Um, sometimes it's going to feel like a hill you're trying to climb. And you've got to be willing, if you're going to hold on for the rest of the story, you've got to be willing to just, to just wait. Climb the hill if necessary. Claw your way before the Lord. I read the whole chapter this morning after I started to think maybe I was going down the wrong road. I went back and I said, well, maybe I, maybe I, need to, maybe I don't need to just think of this in terms of David dancing before the Lord and what all that could say to us. Maybe Let me go back and read the chapter. And I, I quickly was reminded of, of the whole context. This is a story I just read to you and it... Um, some things became, uh, began to um, connect for me. Um, I noticed a few things that were not just for you, for the message, but they were for me. I noticed that David's dancing came after a death. Okay. I noticed that along the way, David... Uh, after this death, David didn't like it one bit. He didn't think it was fair. He didn't think it was necessary. And um, it was in the midst of something very wonderful. I noticed that uh, in between the death and, and David recognizing and remembering and being reminded that the presence of God brings blessing and joy, contentment and happiness. I noticed that it was three months from the time that David stashed the ark to the time in verse 12 where he said, let's go get it. I want it. At the hearing of how God was blessing Obed-Edom and what was happening surrounding the presence of God, David was reminded of, of the joy and the happiness that is living before the Lord. Um, I noticed that he didn't let anything hold him back. He didn't care about really anyone but God. 
so I, uh, I began not only to notice these things, but I began to start to identify with David. And in my asking God, why this story? Why down this road? Why away from First John chapter 2? It started to be more about me than just about preaching a sermon to you. So uh, it became uh, clear to me that um, the Lord wanted to answer some of the own, some of my own prayers over the last week or two. And some of the things that have been going on in my heart have been this struggle between. Um, okay, I'll say anger with God, and a desire at the very same time to to live before Him. And to have the to have the joy and the and the and the blessing of the presence of God, the nearness of God, that it would that it would bring a dance to my soul once again. I I started to identify with David in the fact that I wanted I wanted to be back before the Lord in a way that I haven't been in a little while to a nearness that is um, that has escaped me of recent and my prayers have been lately that Lord I don't really even have that in me like I don't even have the desire in me Lord so you got to even you got to just give me the desire like I am I am so like empty and completely weak right now Lord I don't even have the strength to 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 want to want you more but I know I want you more does that make sense to you and so I've been praying like God just I don't have it in me so you got to just you got to just find a way you got to find a way back into getting me before the Lord again it's funny how crisis has a way of stripping away all the nonsense, doesn't it? I watched a movie this past week on the uh, on the tsunami. Where did that tsunami hit a couple years ago? That island, you might remember. What's that? Okay, Thailand. Yeah, this, and and it was this uh, this movie based on the true story of this family and and how they they all went through the tsunami and and they all uh, connected back together. But just through the movie, it kept it, it kept occurring to me just in this in this real life drama that these people really went through this and how really bad it was to completely, the five of them, be separated and not know if any of the others were alive or dead. And just how in a crisis like that, it didn't, all bets were off. And it, nothing else really matters. Shoes, we don't need shoes. I got a big gaping cut on the back of my leg like the mom did. That doesn't matter. You begin to notice, and you're reminded, like, that in a, in a really crisis time, none of the stuff that matters day to day when things are okay, none of that matters. I mean, have you ever had something that occurs in your life that just says, you know what, all bets are off, and I don't really care about anything else anymore? I, I kind of think that's where David ended up. I mean, he'd come through this tragic death of someone who was just trying to help, and he didn't like it, and he didn't understand it, and he was confused. But he knows deep down like he wants the Lord and he finds himself away from the Lord. He's not before the Lord for a while. And, he, and he's reminded of the goodness of God. And he, and he rushes back and he gets it. And now he's just, you know what? Forget it. Strips off his kingly garments. And he's dancing down the street with the regular folk. Reckless abandon. All bets are off. I'm not worried about my stuff anymore. I'm not worried about my plan. I'm not worried about my, 
my appearance. I'm not worried about my career. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm not worried about all that stuff that we, that we get caught up in that slows us down from just when it's time to dance before the Lord, it's time to dance before the Lord. And so I could have avoided the rest of the story. It occurred to me as I started thinking last night and even this morning, well, maybe, maybe I'm just chasing that, that sermon squirrel and I need to get back to First John and to just really buckle down and focus and, and get back into there. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just move on. I could have avoided the rest of the story, right? But it, it started to hit me and the Lord convicted me, listen, um, maybe, you're, maybe you're missing some of it. You, you, you better face the whole story. You better face the whole story. So let me, can I, let me just be honest with you here. Um, and, and maybe this helps you because I'm going to kind of walk you through how pastor started to face the rest of the story here. Um, I would have liked to just, just deal with the exciting moment here at the end. The dance. But it became clear that there was a death before the dance. And it was a bad death. A well-meaning, innocent party was lost. Okay. Um, My question to the Lord was, and to myself, well then, whose whose fault was it? It's an honest question. Whose fault was it? It's not God's fault. I mean, it's, it's just not. It wasn't this one who's, who's just moving to respond to keep the presence of God from, from flipping off the cart. It's not one who's just walking the path, escorting, escorting the, the, the kingdom, escorting the gospel, who's there to support. It, it's, not their, it's not their fault. Who then? Maybe David. David knew better. You don't put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. It had these fancy rings on the side of it that God had very, very specifically prescribed be built onto the Ark of the Covenant. And there were these very specific poles that were to run through these rings on the specific sides of the ark and a specific people were to carry the ark in a specific way. And David, David knew better. And in all of his excitement, he just, he just, he wanted the, he wanted the ark back and there was an opportunity. And, and I think in all of his zeal, he, he messed up. He just messed up. And, um, and so maybe, maybe it was David's fault. He, he handled God in a wrong way. And so um, you can imagine where uh, my heart and mind goes in the rest of the story. What, what are these things, what, are these, what does this mean, Lord? So I... I Continued to do that odd thing and just asking him, and I and I and I asked him, and I just sat there. And um, 
trying to put the piece together, pieces together in my own heart and mind, I, you know, I, I, I mean, just be honest, I had to ask, you know. <laughs> um, Lord, it wasn't, it wasn't your servant's fault who was, who was walking in faithfulness. I know that. I can't blame you, Lord. So, um, you know, am I, am I David in the story? In any, in any form or fashion, Lord. And I had a moment of bravery, I'll tell you, and I'll just confess to you. I had a moment of bravery where I just was able to, by God's grace, just to be completely completely open to God to tell me, Daryl, it's your fault. I'll just say it. Daryl, it's your fault. I mean, maybe I, maybe I took a misstep. Maybe I... Maybe I dropped the ball somewhere. Maybe I got ahead of God. Maybe, maybe I was, I mean, what could I, what did I do? So at this point, I'm st- I stand up, I get off the couch, and I'm walking around the house. And, um, and I just, you know, not in my own bravery, I just was able to ask the Lord, Lord, if I, if I it's me, you know, tell me. Um, David was used to that sort of thing, wasn't he? I mean, he had, he had a guy come to him before and, and say, David, you're the man. And so maybe this was my David, you're the man moment. And um, I'm thinking, Lord, is that, is that the rest of the story? But I felt like I had, to, I had to be open and ask that hard question, even if I didn't like the answer. Because if I was ever going to get back before the Lord... And have the kind of joy that David ends up with having that causes him just to break out in, in whatever kind of dance he was dancing. Then I, then I, I, would, I was going to have to ask, wasn't I? And I was going to I was gonna have to have the guts to hear the answer. And if it was, you're the man, then I have to trust the grace of God that he's going to carry me through that. So many ways I've... I found that I identified here. I mean, I've been I've been kind of angry, you know, not not in a way that hasn't caused me to want to get back to the Lord and just to be near to Him. But but there's been some just Lord, what what in the world? So maybe maybe I needed to hear that part of the story. So I I started to think that I couldn't I can't just you know big things like this maybe. And this is a pointer for you. Maybe you can't always trust your own heart because, you know, we would like to deceive ourselves and we would like to tell ourselves the best, the best answer. It started, it started, to, started to come together in my mind that, that maybe, maybe the whole story isn't my story. Maybe, maybe the, the, the way I need to look at this is that there was a bad death. An innocent, faithful servant is lost. There's some honest anger and angst and confusion. But if, but if I want to know, did I misstep? Did I, did I, am I a part of this? Did I cause this? Um, what I what I know in all honesty is is the answer is, ah, Lord, I 
I'm listening, and, and if you want to point out sin, point it out. And my mind started to run through, like I know all my weaknesses, and I know all my shortcomings, and I have them. I have many. Um, but I, you know, I, I really felt like I was starting to see that, no, this whole story isn't yours, so don't take it. This whole story isn't yours. You, you, didn't, you didn't do this. Sometimes, sometimes the devil jumps in and sets us up, and sometimes he just manipulates, and sometimes he gets in there. So no, don't, don't, don't take the story that far. But again, I, I, don't, trust, I don't trust my own heart because I, I, I still know that I'm weak. And I, like I, maybe I'm just trying to appease myself. Maybe I'm trying to tell myself, you know, that I'm not the man. And um, maybe I need to hear. Maybe I need to hear something. And so uh, I started to think, well, how, do, how am I going to get that? You know, Lord, I'm listening, but I've got to listen through my own spirit. And so one of the things that I've made a habit of doing is surrounding myself with men in particular that I, that I know are listening to the Lord and that are willing to ask the Lord something on my behalf and just to give me an honest answer. And so I, I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text a couple guys and I'm going to ask them, Hey, I'm struggling with something. Will you ask the Lord what he might have to say to me without giving him any more information than that? And I've done that before. Just, hey, go to the Lord and just say my name and tell me what you hear. And um, so I walk back to the couch and I, I pick up my phone. And no joke, 7.58 a.m., as I pick up my phone, I get a message. There's two there's two um, messages that pop up on my on my phone screen. Two two uh, indicators. One is that I got a free Groupon or a discounted Groupon to a Swedish massage, and I thought, Amen. I received that, Lord. But that's not really what I was looking for. And. Um, Along with it, I get a, I get a text um, says, says this verse stuck out this morning, and I thought about about you, brother. The text was First Peter four nineteen. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And um, <laughs> I hope you have I hope you have people in your life that um, who care enough to ask the Lord about you. And I just sat down and I started bawling. I had already been crying and kind of a regular thing. And I thought, I thought, um, thank you, Lord, for for taking a step towards me. You know, I, I was I was just about to send that text to fish for a word, and and as soon as I pick up my phone, you, you just go ahead and send it to me. And 
Let me just be honest with you. I don't have a lot of those stories, guys. I wish I had more. Like, I don't have a lot of those stories where, and, and I opened my Bible and it just, this verse was highlighted. And I never use a highlighter, but somehow or another it was highlighted. And there was just darkness and then there was light. And I don't have those. I don't, I'm not, I don't have those stories. I've asked for those stories. Listen to me now. Uh, I don't share. I don't share that story to declare to you my innocence, but to confess to you my weaknesses. Okay. Um, th- this isn't a. This isn't a. Rah rah, good job, Pastor. I hope what you see in all this is just. Emptiness, brokenness, confession, desperation. I hope you see just a, if, if, if there's anything good, it's just been a, a good old-fashioned chasing after the Lord, even when I just got a scrap and claw and I don't have anything left in me. And I just got to beg that the Lord help me hold on, you know? I told you all this. I remember, I remember telling you just a couple of weeks ago, hey, we're going to move on from this. I'm not just going to keep preaching to you out of my own stuff here. But um, I, I didn't put this together. I didn't, I didn't do this. Um, the Lord put this message, I trust, together. Put it together for me, I know, yes. But He, but he put it together for you as well. What does he want you to know this morning? Maybe you need to do something odd. Maybe you need to ask him. Maybe you need to ask him. I mean, that's really all I could do this morning. He pointed my heart in the direction of a story that I've known for a long time. And halfway down the road, he surprised me. And... um, he had he had something to say, and um, he had some amazing things to say. I jumped. I opened my computer back up, and I um, I've kept <clears throat> because I I can't count very well. I've kept on my calendar just kind of a uh, every month or so. Or every so many days, I'll go back and count how many days since it's been, since Kimberly passed away. And um, I hadn't done that in a few days. And I looked at my watch and I looked at the date. It's August 10th. And I jumped on my calendar and I, I added up my numbers, you know, that I'd, I'd had every few days. And today is 90 days. It's three months. I think he would have us be reminded that that he is for those who are after his heart. He's not just for those who are perfect. He's not just for those who never make mistakes. He's not just for those who never doubt. Not those who never fail. Not those who never drop the ball. Not those who never misstep. He's not just for those who never get angry 
and doubt and wonder what in the world is going on. He's never he's not just for those who who question what God allows or even what God causes. He's not just for them. He's he's for those who are after his heart, the good, the bad and the and the weak and the broken and the desperate. No, David David was guilty of all those things and and more. And yet he was called by God, Scripture says. And it seems to me that God would not let him go. And it seems to me that David couldn't let God go. Did you notice 2 Samuel 6.21? What David says to his wife. It was before the Lord who, what does it say? Who chose me. It was before the Lord who chose me. For those that God has called, for those that God has chosen, I think there's this, there's, this, there's this safety that we find that even in our moments of greatest desperation, He's not going to let us go. And you know what? Somehow or another, He gives us the strength that we're not going to let Him go. And He'll give us the ability to claw our way back before the Lord and dance again even after a bad death. And if God is for us, if God is for us, who then can be against us? Says Romans 8. Can I read to you as we close? Romans 8, starting in verse 31, it says this, and may your hearts be encouraged this morning by the Word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not let also, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Will distress? Will persecution? Will famine? Nakedness, peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, I hope you're convinced, That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me. Lord, I... We are weak. 
More than that, Lord, we, I am broken. I'm undone. I'm ruined. And those who are sitting with me, they could fill in their own blank. We are all those things. I am all those things. And yet, yet still, you have planted in me by your calling to my soul this desire to ever be before you and to sing your praise. My heart, you have knit to your own. Oh Lord, would you strengthen it? Give us, Lord, what is not in us. Give us what we don't even have the desire to ask for. For those of us who sit in this room who are, who are called, give us the desire to be men and women after, after your heart. Patterned after your heart, but also chasing after your heart. Ever desiring to be before the Lord. And come what may, in our highs or in His low, no matter how high the waves are, our anchor holds within the veil. Our anchor holds within the veil. You are our anchor, Lord. Jesus, You are our anchor. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in, that is in You, our Savior. Make strong the weak. Strengthen our legs underneath us and our hearts within us. Give us the courage and the bravery to just ask, Lord, what do you want to say? I trust in a whole new way this morning, Lord, and confess that you speak to your people. Speak now, Lord, before we leave this place. Speak, Holy Spirit, to the hearts of the men and women here, the words that you want to speak to them. Thank you for your word that it is alive. In Christ's name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.